Welcome. This is the Skins podcast produced by the Facade Tectonics Institute. With invited industry thought and practice leaders, we take on all things building skin. This year, we are featuring architects, developers, and others in the AEC industry, exploring how they design and facilitate building equity in its physical form. I am your host, Damali Lawrence, an architect at Perkins & Will. Our guest today is Adese Cadet, design director in HOK's Los Angeles studio. Today, Adese will be speaking with us about her journey in, the, in design and how she ensures the execution of equity in its various forms is embedded in her practice. Thank you, Adese, for being with us today. We appreciate your time and your voice. Awesome. I'm happy to be here. Great. So jumping right in, can you tell us a little bit about your background, what your design philosophy is, and how equity in its physical form factors into your work? Sure. So I am proud and out and proud architect. I'm very excited about it. It's something I've always wanted to be um, ever since I was a little kid. And so I actually have a name chain that says architect on it that I'm proud of the fact that I made it past all those tests. Um, I've been practicing for almost 20 years now. And really, my design philosophy is, you know, mostly rooted in that I think every projects should be rooted in the site and really speak to the context that we're building in. You know, I'm not one that has this like specific singular style. I like to go and look at the community, where we're building, what's around it, how all that can inform the design, and then still have that element of inspiration, the element of delight when you see the final product and the concept and making sure that we're carrying that concept from the macro scare when you're driving up all the way down through until you're actually inhabiting the space. Um, And I also really think the fun part of what what we do is we are creating and shaping the built environment where people come together and experience their life. And so there's a lot of ownership in that responsibility. And I want to make sure that the buildings I'm designing speak to that so everyone feels like they're a part of of that space that we're creating for them. So I'm going to poke the hornet's nest a little bit about your role at HOK. Um, So you're the first female design principal at HOK, and correct me if I'm wrong, did did you reach out to other female design principals at other firms while you were in pursuit of this role? Were you actually in pursuit of this role or was something that evolved over time? And then based on your experience, what unique qualities do you think you bring to this role? Um, You know, I didn't really reach out to other design principals or design directors in the industry. And sadly, there's not a lot of females in this role, especially on the architecture side. Like you'll see it a lot in interior design. But for architecture, for some reason, there's still this preconceived notion that best design comes from men. Um, So I didn't really have a ton of role models in that space and kind of just worked my way up through different levels of the design system. It's something I'm very passionate about. I did look to other female architects for some inspiration, didn't connect with them directly, but that kind of helped me figure out how to navigate this business of architecture. And this role kind of found me, you know, I I was at a previous firm and they reached out. Um, We started having a conversation and it really suited all the different kind of sectors that I've touched throughout my career and being able to shape design culture within our local studio in LA was super appealing to me. And also to help change that narrative, you know, that great design can come from women like Zahad. And, you know, I want to kind of help push that and inspire more female architects behind me. So, okay, further poking. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Since this is a podcast about skins, we're going to do all things skins. So in the November 2021 Design article, Bjark Ingels gave a quote about the TELUS Sky Tower in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. And 
he stated that the sense of movement created by the floor plates becomes smaller from the base of the top. Quoting, it, this gives a tower a sense of femininity, femininity in the midst of a more masculine skyline. Do you think it's necessary to qualify the built environment as being masculine versus feminine? And what does that mean in terms of equity? And, and does, does a curve form really evoke a sense of femininity, making facades more equitable? Like, What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's an interesting thing that we do um, when we speak about design and really anything. I mean, we're one of the few languages, like if you think of Spanish or French, where there actually is male and female Mm -hmm. um, identity given to objects. We don't really do that in the English language, but you do find it in these kind of remnants. And so I think it's a little archaic at this point to be describing things as masculine and feminine, especially as we've, you know, in 2020 and even before then, we've been talking about, you know, what is gender and what does that really mean? Um, mm-hmm. So I think it's more impactful to just describe the form as it is. You know, it can be a curvilinear form. It could be really angular. It could have like uh, it can invoke elements of speed or movement or things like that. I think that's much more descriptive than trying to prescribe it to gender. So then if we jump out on a much more macro scale and not the micro scale, in terms of communities that you work with, is there a feeling or a message that you're trying to convey with your work to ensure that the quality represents equity? And and in that, how do you work with your consultants and enclosure consultants, engineers, so forth, um, to ensure that equity really is not value engineered out in the design process, but more so in the construction process. Yeah, so that's a big one. Our industry hasn't done the best of in the past. You know, you kind of see these, you know, nicer, higher priced neighborhoods, they get the better design. And then when there's, you know, a building that we just think like, oh, there's too small of a budget, somehow design goes out the window. And I don't think those things are mutually exclusive, right? Like you can do things that are innately to how you cite the building, you know, and thinking about maybe in a community that's underserved, you can still cite the building in an intentional way to allow maximum daylight into the space. You and I get floor to ceiling glass, but there's things you can do to build in equity when you're thinking about the holistic design of the projects. And even when it comes down to the facade and tying that into a very strong concept that then everyone, including the architecture team, the contractor, the owner, we're all buying into this overarching theme. We understand our purpose and what we're doing so that all of us can take ownership and make sure that the key elements don't get V'd out. Or we try to be creative in the solutions that we're coming up with that maintain that intent, but still maybe save the client money here where we do trade-offs. Maybe there's things we can tie in if we're, say, looking at, you know, life cycle costs, different things like that, but making sure that we're all united in that vision statement, in that concept for the project so that we're doing it and having that same level of rigor, whether that project has a billion dollar budget or a $50,000 budget. So so in that that portion that you just spoke about and and getting everyone fully invested. Is this something that HOK has as like some kind of written statement in the beginning of a project or is it just something that's pretty innate in the team and then you push it out toward toward everyone who's working 
on the project. Yeah. I mean, if it, it's something that how we want to be intentional about how we approach design within HOK. And so on the onset, we really love to start off with a big visioning session with the client to really understand, you know, who are the stakeholders in this project? Who's actually using it? What are your goals and objectives? If say, for example, they're moving out of a space into a new space, what's working well, what's not working so well, so that we all understand the same language that we're speaking. Because if Uh you you walk into a space and you say, oh, it feels very sterile to me. Okay, well, what does that mean to you? Does that mean everything's white? Does that mean there's Uh not a lot of of space, a lot of stuff in the space, and it feels very sparse? Like making sure that we have these conversations early on. So we're setting these guiding principles that then track us through as we continue through the design process and bringing in the consultants and, and building the team. Got it. And so, okay, pulling out a little bit more from from the Q to the HOK extrapolation. So in November 2022, HOK posted on their website their idea of what DEI equity um, Jedi is. And what stood out to me the most is that instead of putting out a statement and bullet points of what HOK will do, the concept is that you your team will beta test a recommended approach before rolling ac- rolling it out across the firm. Why was this methodology cho- chosen in lieu of the typical issuing of aspirational statements? And how does that tie into facade design, if at all? That's like a fantastic question. And having the, the fact that HOK has these types of conversations is one of the things that really attracted me to the firm. And so instead of just having a statement of where we wanted to be, we wanted to be intentional about it. And working through our HOK research program, we set out um, the task to create um, designing for equity, which is actually a framework. So we can make it actionable goals of how we're actually infusing equity in design. And some of these things we're, we're kind of doing innately as we were thinking about the process, but we wanted to move with more intention and make sure that what we're saying can actually be rolled out. Because, you know, sometimes people say like, oh, I, I want to do, you know, have a grand um, idea or a grand goal, but there's not really a path to get there. And we wanted to do all of that in tandem and so we looked at previous projects we've done in the past while coming up with our designing for equity framework and looked at ones where we said, look, these, this is really great compared to other ones. What can we pull? How can we create this framework? So then our future projects, we're tying back to that. We're making sure we're thinking about equity and all the different phases of architecture as we're going through the process, again, moving with intention um, and then having that roadmap to hold ourselves accountable to make sure that we're checking in along the way and making sure that we're you know, actually baking in equity into the design itself. And then if we if we look more at the work that you're working on, what projects at HOK reflects your design philosophy the most? I mean, I know you stated that the reason you chose HOK is because of what their philosophy is embedded with equity, but what projects really say who you are as an architect? I feel like that's such a hard question. I like cut it. Where is that? <laughs> no, I mean, I think it's fantastic because, you know, every project is like a baby to me and right. represents me in some way, shape and form. And obviously, when I was starting out in my career, you know, my level of impact. You can answer with oh. multiple. So I'll take that. I'll take oh, okay. that. Too. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. Because I think like as my impact and influence as I was coming up through, you know, the different ranks, um, I got to have more impact in how 
the design process actually came to fruition. So one of the ones I think was really great was um, working with Community Culture Records in my previous firm and having that, making sure that we had that kickoff visioning session. That's something that's really important to my design style personally. And I love that that's baked in at HOK as well. So even though it was a little counterintuitive for some people, I was like, we need to do this. We need to make sure because this is going to be an impactful project. It was a creative, uh, a space for creatives um, to come and work and creative office space as well as recording studios. It was just this really cool mixture of activities and relating back to the community was super important to them. So it was like the perfect test case for me to kind of flex this and it worked out really well. Um, And then I think, you know, being at HOK, one of the things I love about the work we're doing in our Los Angeles studio, um, we have a a large healthcare practice and we've had two big um, behavioral health projects um, that have been amazing. Um, And, you know, going through the pandemic and understanding the importance of behavioral health, the fact that the system within the United States and around the world is really lacking to be able to give back to these types of of organizations that are providing these services and doing it in a meaningful way. One of them is um, uh, located with a university and um, with UCLA, and it's in a neighborhood. And so really making sure that we're thinking about that neighborhood context, how it fits in, and it doesn't become this like kind of eyesore as you're driving by. It's a relatively large building in that neighborhood. So thinking about scale, thinking about all these different things. Um, And then, you know, from the other side of it, thinking about the patients that are using the space. We baked in a lot of, of garden spaces, indoor outdoor spaces, thinking about baking in some hospitality elements so you don't feel like you're in this sterile environment where you might tense up, you know, and not want to go through this process to change and improve your life. But we wanted it to feel inviting, welcoming, you know, bringing in those sustainability aspects of it too. And it's just really coming together really nicely. So I'm excited to see that one um, start going under construction. And it's also adaptive reuse, which is another great way too, because we have a lot of products in LA um, that is vacant, that isn't being used. And so giving it this life and the second life in such a meaningful, impactful way is super inspiring. So then if we if we zoom in on one aspect, which this is skin, so we'll talk skins. And in these projects, do you feel that the envelope of the building really kind of let's say envelop the user so that they feel protected? Is that is that kind of your aim when you design from, let's say, the outside in, because we know what we want as architects, right? We know what we want the inside to do. We want to make sure the health, safety, welfare, right? That's kind of our, let's say, architectural Hippocratic oath. But what do you do with the exterior to make sure that your user feels safe in a space? Or is there something that you do? Is it, does it change? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that goes back to, you know, relating to the cons- context around it, looking at ways to um, make sure that the light that's coming in through the exterior is being um, evenly distributed in the space, that everyone has this access to views out too, because I feel like when you're designing with the skin, you have to look at it both ways from the inside out and the outside in. And it all kind of informs those final decisions because you may decide, oh, this looks great from the outside. And then you look at a you know perspective of a, a patient room and you realize, oh, wait, that's not like, that's a weird spot. A window's above your head, like that's weird. Like, you know, so then it kind of pushes back and forth and you have to think about it holistically. And on that particular UCLA project, budget's always an issue on things. And so we got really creative with the skin. We're doing prefab panels. So looking at, you know, 
skin technologies and ways to help build in efficiency, build in how they can, you know, quickly enclose the building, which helps speed up, you know, the time, which saves money and all these things. And we found ways to have the panels kind of slanting and making it look like from, you know, when it's, it's done, you won't even notice that they were prefab panels. Um, but just using these materials in different ways, playing with color, playing with the rhythm of the windows to help give you that that kind of tranquil feeling as you're moving around outside, but also feeling nice as you're looking inside out and having those nice views out to the surrounding area. So do you think that for the future of building skins, this is something that you hope not just you, HOK, but the broader industry embraces? And, and do you think that, or do you want to see that both the ind- that the industry Im- embraces the physical form in our practice in a way that it's holistic no matter what the budget is, right? So someone can yeah. be in a library that's in an underserved community, but they feel that the architect, designers, contractors really thought and, and were fully invested in the project. And you're right, like it could be, you know, the speed of construction so that if it's going up in a specific neighborhood, whatever the facility is, the user says, okay, they really thought about this, but also, you know, it's not going to take, you know, 25 years to get this built. What are your thoughts about the future of skin design and enclosure and I guess architectural in general? Yeah. I mean, I think, yes, understanding, um, and I really love that this current push of talking about and thinking about equity and who's actually using the space and this connection to community. And I think that's going to enrich the designs that we have coming out of the architecture industry moving forward, which is super exciting and also help to inform how we think about the skin. I mean, there's all this um, advancement in skin technologies, doing things more efficiently, understanding how to use materials in new and creative and exciting ways. I mean, obviously all of like, you know, using Grasshopper and these various scripts to help us test things out a lot quicker too, to really understand, you know, what's the best design solution when it comes to that exterior envelope. You know, we can do this energy modeling to understand how efficient, you know, the actual building envelope is and make adjustments before, you know, we start going too far down the road. We can all do all this stuff up front and have it shape the design and then ultimately end up with a much stronger um, product in the end. So I'm excited about the facade industry, what we're doing, what we're studying, how we can keep pushing the envelope more and more and more. And I just see us like continuing to really shape the environment in a much more meaningful way. Good. So I'm going to push the envelope as we close out because you really crushed answering all my questions. So <laughs> I was like, wow, she's good. Um, so for our closeout question, you can answer either one. So you can tell us about what you're reading, listening to, or where you want to travel. I'm going to have to do what I'm listening to right now because it's important to my being and my essence. And that would be Beyonce's Renaissance because it's giving me all the life. You know, she's just an amazing songwriter, performer. She... We're also Virgos. So, you know, like the attention to detail, I respect it. And it helps to motivate me to translate that same attention to detail into the work that I do. And really like standing in your own truth. I mean, a lot of the songs on this current um, album have that message of like loving yourself, being cozy in your skin, really being true to who you are and how that can really be a point of inspiration for our designs for how we, you know, think about our spaces more creatively and really just taking ownership and understanding that it's just, it really helps me, you know, when I have to do these big presentations in front of clients or, you know, trying to think outside the box, it's like, okay, what can I do? Like what, 
where can I get these different inspirations? I mean, and then just don't even get me started on the costumes. I'm like, that is a design <laughs> lesson in and of itself. So I am here for all of her all the time. <laughs> I can agree with you on that. I, yeah. But but again, right, it, it, she's doing for her fans what, what you're doing for architecture, which is making sure that the skin, right, that she's, let's say, enveloping her fans in is the same thing that we're doing in design, right? We want to make sure our users feel comfortable. We want to yeah. make sure that our consultants are fully invested and she's the same way, right? Like you're saying like whether Absolutely. it's her costume design or her set design, it's the same thing. You want your, she wants her fans to be engaged, but she also wants to feel, have them feel welcome. So it's kind of the, it's yeah. the same thing, right? We're moving into the, in the whole creative industry where whoever is experiencing from the inside or out is fully invested. This was really great. Uh, thank yeah. you so much for doing it, answering all my questions. And we very much appreciate your voice. I hope everyone has taken the joy out of this that I have. And I'm very happy. I've been a fangirl for a while. I'm glad to see that you're doing it so that other people can say they can do it. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much. This was a blast. You had amazing questions. <laughs>